listening to End of the Line on WRIR LP 97.3 FM Richmond. End of the Line is an ongoing podcast about the pipeline struggles in Virginia and the Mid-Atlantic. I'm Whitney Whiting. As things stand right now, I feel the inevitability of collapse and harm and violence that I can't even comprehend. I feel that. It scares me. And yet, I want to live, <laughs> you know? Like, I want people to be well. I want us, I want us to be free. So I don't feel hope, but I do feel determined and I feel that I, I won't spend my life doing anything but um, grappling with that inevitability and altering it, <laughs> altering it. By now, most people have heard of the Mountain Valley and Atlantic Coast pipelines, two nearly identical billion-dollar projects designed to carry fracked gas from the Marcellus Shale region of West Virginia into Virginia and North Carolina. The two projects were proposed at nearly the same time almost five years ago. Since then, the projects have added billions in estimated cost, with their future becoming increasingly uncertain as a growing movement of people has fought back. We have never seen this kind of uprising of people in this state on an environmental issue. I've been working on these issues for over 35 years, and I have never seen this kind of effort. I've never seen this kind of unity. And that is important, and I think they recognize this. In all, the general sentiment, even amongst industry and investment analysts, is that only one of the projects may get built, if either is built at all. Five years ago, both pipelines had originally planned to be in service and fully operational by 2019. But that doesn't mean that pipeline opponents are feeling that the fight is over. In fact, rumors abound that despite several vacated or suspended permits, as well as a pending lawsuit from Attorney General Mark Herring, Mountain Valley Pipeline could restart their construction at any moment. Rebecca Solnit wrote a beautiful essay recently called When the Hero is the Problem. In the essay, she observes of popular culture, as well as nonfiction, history, and current news, that we're not very good at telling stories about a hundred people doing things together. We tend to like the lone hero narrative, she writes, or at least that's what we're often given. She says these typical narratives don't take into consideration the reality, that the qualities that matter in saving a valley or changing the world are mostly not physical courage and violent clashes, but the ability to coordinate and inspire and connect with lots of people and create stories about what could be and how we get there. The following voices from pipeline resistance across so-called Virginia offer stories of just that, what could be and how we get there. The, the general response is two things. It's either outrage, like, that can't be legal, no way. Like, how can, I, I, often I think people almost don't believe the stories you tell. And the other really is people who just say, there's nothing you can do. It's, you know, it's bigger than all of us. We can't, you can't fight this. They're going to do what they want to do. 
Why do you think they think that? There's a lot of evidence that they're right. <laughs> I mean, honestly, FERC has only ever turned down one pipeline in history. Um, but it's not just FERC. What it is is it's the sort of same thing that we saw happen in our society in the last political cycle and everything. People just, they don't believe that the people in power are here to support and protect us in the way that we think they should be for their elected positions, you know? It feels like we have the wrong people representing us. That people that we hope are supposed to be the people to represent us have turned their back on us. You know, you have this thing in your head when you're young that you think the DEQ cares about our water and the quality of our environment. Our elected officials care about us. And then you get older and you realize everybody can be bought. And that's a really sad thing to realize. Um, that it's hard to, to believe in anybody. It's hard to um, trust anybody, you know, and it's hard to have hope for anything because you've just been let down by so many people. And I think, I think it's more about that. It's more about people who really think, you know, you can't fight, you can't fight the, the giants. You know, there's no way, why waste your time? There's nothing, you'll never win. It makes me angry as hell, actually. I mean, really, when I, when I have, particularly when I have a close friend who says that, like, I, you know, um, I get that it's hard, right? And I get that our odds are slim, right? But if you think it's so unjust, how do you say there's nothing we can do? It is so unjust and there's nothing we can do. Well, true, right? If you don't do anything, it ain't gonna change. In terms of, um, you know, we've seen Dominion clamp down on other businesses that have tried to come into their territory and provide renewable energy. The classic case was Washington and Lee University in Lexington, uh, you know, where the university tried to um, install solar on, on, on the university with a company other than Dominion. Um, and Dominion came in there with a, I think, a cease and desist order, you know, and took them to court. And they had, there had to be a negotiation over how Washington and Lee could put solar panels on their own roof. So, you know, that, that model is not doing us any good. It's reducing our security. It's putting us in a position where we're beholden to one powerful corporation. We're whittling away at it, uh, at this kind of... Uh, monopoly power because um, it does outrage people and it's it is wrong it's really not actually in the interest of consumers householders businesses uh, or our environment to have this this kind of corporate control of our energy system If you're just tuning in, you're catching End of the Line on WRIR LP 97.3 FM Richmond. And today, we're talking about what it takes to fight giants. One of the best bits of advice I got when I first decided that I was going to lean in hard on this uh, was from a guy uh, who said to me, he says, if you're going to do this, you got to go all the way to the end. And you got to never get discouraged when you feel like nothing you're doing is making any 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 difference he said because you'll never ever see them waver until the day you win you'll never see it you won't see a crack in the armor they won't show any weakness 
They won't, you know, it'll be, they'll be, this pipeline's being built right up until the day it gets canceled in the news and you'll hear about it. Just, this is what they do, they're pros, right? So he said, you've got to decide that, that, that you, won't, you won't be looking for those things because you'll just get discouraged. Recently, Dominion's Atlantic Coast Pipeline has been the subject of some pretty dire headlines. Court denies new hearing for Appalachian Trail Pipeline. Atlantic Coast Pipeline delayed to 2020. Dominion adds $1 billion to cost estimate. Fourth Circuit decision prompts Wall Street concern over pipeline. Duke Energy needs Plan B if Atlantic Coast Pipeline fails. These recent headlines have signaled major investor and industry analysts to finally say what the pipeline resistance has believed all along, that there's a very good chance these pipelines will never see the light of day. Over a year ago, I spoke to two young folks about their part in the pipeline resistance, where they thought they'd be in a month or even a year, and what they've learned to do with the uncertainty of fighting two massive pipelines at once. There's something uh, magical almost <laughs> about being able, there's something magical about being able to drive two hours across the state and yeah. have a place to sleep with somebody who loves you. <laughs> you know, sometimes it feels like an Airbnb like situation where you drive two hours to a place you've never been and you open up the front door and there are people who, like you, are committed to fighting these pipelines. Yeah. <laughs> And, you know, I, I have the experience often of rolling up. I roll up to somewhere I've never been and, and open a, in the dark, open a door into a often warm living room where there are people gathered around talking about what we should do. Yeah. That's not unusual to me. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I <laughs> uh, like... Uh, this is probably the part that you edit out because it's not relevant to the radio, but like I'm just talking, so um, <laughs> uh, it's not relevant to me to answer that question. Like, it's not, it's not relevant to me to think about where I'll be in a month. Um, yeah, like, uh, what I'm, what I'm, what my attention is towards is like what increases the power in this very moment like what what is available here right now this interview like what is happening right now i feel empowered by it i'm totally consumed by it that's that's what i care about like, that's where my intention and thought is going towards like i'm not seeing this as like a um you know like an accessory that will uh, or like a, a media stunt that will like eventually lead me to an outcome like this like our interaction right now um, is everything. I don't care about where I'll be in a month. Why well, I, I do. I do care about where I'll be in a month. But nothing about what I could like perceive about that <laughs> version of any moment that it is plays uh, a role in how I am here and now. Mm. I am here. I will do the things. Um, that will make me and my comrades powerful. Um, I will be attentive to those things, whether they are like <laughs> a strategic conversation, whether they are like the building of something, whether they are a hug or an honest statement. Like, 
that is, yeah, um, that's what it is. One thing I'll clarify, yes. though, is yeah. I don't think that we, mm, it's not as simple as like envisioning what could be in the next month, because what could be in the next month unfolds directly from what we, uh, how we choose to engage with yeah. this moment and the next and the next and we resist the certainty of what uh, the pipeline companies would intend. We resist the certainty of what the state would intend to happen. It's not certain, and we saw that at the state water control board. We saw, uh, here's a board of, what, seven people who, it's their job to make decisions about these things, and they were confused five minutes before they voted to make certain a decision about the pipelines were trying to clarify specific questions with their lawyers or, um, you know, uh, their, their uncertainty was very um, evident, you know. Yeah. And um, so I, I think when we talk about these decisions, when we talk about institutions, everything feels predetermined, um, decisive and, and sure. And the kind of raw human material of every political moment is equally you know unsure and confusing and precarious as our own lives you know and mm -hmm. and then in the reformulation of these decisions the moment when six hours later it hits the you know capital newspaper um, it gets processed into something that appears certain that was always determined to happen and yet six hours prior everything was mired in uncertainty and confusion and and that exists always like that exists always and um, I think that's what you know, one way that um, power exists like the uh, ability to feel that um, yeah. which most of us which I for a long time didn't feel mm -hmm. that I could create the reality in which we're situated, that it continued independent of me. Um, mm -hmm. But if I choose to engage, um, you know, many things could be different if we choose to engage. And there is a, the certainty that they intend, that they intend to unfold before us, like, is in no way certain, is no way predetermined and in every moment is being created and reformulated. Yes. And our presence within that changes and reformulates what happens in a month. The future is unwritten. <laughs> yes, thank you, that's helpful. I, I think we're terrible for the radio. <laughs> but, but this is a good conversation. I, quick, a, a short answer is that, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry, sorry, okay, okay. You're terrible for the radio, but um, to, to the question of what will we be doing in a month, I believe with absolute certainty that we will be doing something and there will be a whole lot more of us. That's all I know. Okay, that's the part that's gonna go on the radio. <laughs> My 10 minute soliloquy <laughs> will be lost in the sands of time. Lastly, I asked these two young people how they define hope in these times. Yeah, I don't think we ever talk about no. hope. No, I don't talk about hope. 
Right? No, me I don't either. think I've used that word in a while. Mm-mm. Yeah, I, I don't need to speak about hope. Um, <laughs> I have determination, you know? I, I mean, I have... I'm not hopeful. I'm not. Like, I think things are going really poorly. <laughs> like, I think, I think the arc of history is, is leading us to a bad place. I think this pipeline, um, I think, uh, here we go. What the State Water Control Board does, um, what all of these governmental entities do is, is to singularize, to, to, to totally compartmentalize this pipeline as, as an object, as an abstraction away from everything else that is occurring. I don't experience the world in that way. I see it all happening at once. I see a world in which um, there's no separation from the repression and the violence and the ongoing mm-hmm. colonization in Palestine from, from the seizure of land here in Virginia. I, I see a world in which the total collapse of safety, of, um, of any sense of stability and livelihood in Syria uh, is 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 not separated from the occurrences of 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 profiteering on the basis of fossil fuel extraction here in the United States. You know, I don't see the separation between my own experience of purposelessness and listlessness from the creation of this pipeline. These things, they're not projects that are separated from all of it. What is happening right now is is the rapid degradation um, of all the things that affirm life on this planet, of all the things that will allow us to live, that will allow us to be vital beings, um, that will allow us to even survive. So I don't feel hope. But I do feel determined and I feel that I, I won't spend my life doing anything but um, grappling with that inevitability and altering it, <laughs> altering it. Um, uh, that requires discipline and diligence, um, commitment, um, friendship, love. Um, many things but we don't have to subscribe it all to a sense of fleeting hope find it here in your heart you know find it find it in yourself and and, and turn it into your actions more to come in the next episode of end of the line End of the Line is produced by Whitney Whiting. Music by Restroy. Find the full EP at milkfactoryproductions.bandcamp.com. Additional music by Lobo Marino. Find them on lobomarinomusic.com. And find all episodes from End of the Line at pipelinepodcast.org or on your favorite podcast app.